The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. They've always been there when I reach out. They've always been trying to get my attention. Um, like I would still get the hits. It's just a matter of whether or not I responded, which is interesting because that's the, I want to say there's a respect for our free will. Like they'll give us information, but we have the choice. I think they're there to protect us. They're there to help us, to guide us. And, and just help us make the most out of this life. If, if we're willing, they'll, they'll guide us along. Yeah. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest and fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. What are we doing here? You mean listening to this show? Where the more that you learn is the less that you know. Where the wounded are healers and the atheists pray? It's a wonderful chaos and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos and we like it that way. Today we have Lori Ann Rising. Rising. She is rising. Very rising. And we're going to talk about her secret relationship with channeling yeah how did she start hearing voices in her head and how did that proceed into something she wanted to talk to others about so this is the second time we have lorian it feels like she's family and our engineer cass midgley is in love with lorian he said he sent me these love text messages which i forwarded to lorian and just he says i love this woman he loves it when we bring people on the show, in his words, that can dance effortly with us. Like she could be present even when you guys are being absurd. She knows how to feel in, embrace whatever the hell is going on and just keep that thing going. So, um, yeah, I was almost excited to have her on just so that he got another chance to listen to us all together again. Yeah, nice. When you're in Cyprus, you've got like... Like a totally other world. So I only get glimpses. Of course, you've got all your posts, which are, which, which I think in some ways, I believe you're unfair to your mother because your posts, as wonderful <laughs> as they are, I see them as torturing for her at points, you know, like mama, you know you, mama, shower me in water, like <laughs> me with water. You know, that was today's video, you know, ma- the video from yesterday, mama. Tell me one thing about my childhood. What happened to my childhood blanket? <laughs> and and, and uh, we did 60 seconds of eye gazing. At oh, yeah, the 60 seconds of eye gazing. Oh. Counting. One, two, three. Oh. Did you hear the end? She says, you idiot. I love you. If I give you my house, do you move back to Cyprus? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. I think I just left it at you, idiot. <laughs> we, we've been laughing so much. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We we said that this is for me, you going back is a little bit like a pilgrimage back to an earlier part of your life, but as a different person, because you've developed so much between the last time you were there and now. 
And what yeah, I now, what, now I am a more advanced, better version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank God for that. And and I guess what I what I wanted to do on the show. Just a second, guys. Yes. That was an inside joke. That was an inside joke. Thank you. A- Andy and Bambos have been discussing how as we grow and develop, we create another self-image of ourselves, which is just another trap. And so then we say, this is who I am now. And it, no, I'm not that anymore. And now all of a sudden I'm stuck again in another idea of who I am, right? Which is, it's yeah. just, it's, it's a mind fuck. But the, the, the thing I would love to ask, and I think I, I want to do this every show is that, what did you learn? Because these times are so intense to go back so raw and, and you've dug into some really deep shit at home. So what, what's coming up for you? Like what's new today? Um, I met a girlfriend of mine who knew me during the time that I was a drug addict. And mm-hmm. I, and as we were talking and we spoke about my suicide attempts, mm-hmm. she she kind of mirrored it and it was like in our conversation, it felt like I never really was going for the full suicide Mm -hmm. because she said sometimes she would also be on drugs and she would also feel compelled to drive a car off a cliff. And she actually once drove a car into uh, the sea. Okay. So she says for her, the experience, she wanted to feel, she wanted to feel something more. Yeah. Um, and as I heard her speak, what clicked for me, um, I, rem- I remember during an overdose or on LSD actually, where I, I couldn't, I couldn't um, come out, I, I couldn't differentiate reality from dreams mm-hmm. yesterday from today. So it was like this space around me and I just couldn't touch the ground anymore. And I had to hit myself like I, I really understood why people would cut themselves even though I didn't go that far mm-hmm. but in a way when you're getting a psychosis or any kind of I don't know what to call this like challenging with yourself you might want to cut yourself to feel yeah to feel you I need to feel me so I used to hit myself and hit my head on the ground to feel myself and to some degree driving a car off a cliff overdosing, getting into car accidents, stepping on the gas was a space where I would want to feel and hurt myself enough to get love. Mm. And that kind of dropped me into uh, stillness because in a way I was like, wow, I've always named it as suicide attempts. And now I, I look back and I'm like, wow, this was really a cry for I'm hurting. Mm. Can you see me? I need, I need love because I was really incapable um, to ask for love. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're talking between the ages of 15 and 25. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm. So that was the first. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, the second is... I've also mentioned it yesterday, but it's just really clear to me that um, people really care what other people think. Mm. And because an island, it's more, 
I mean, people always care what other people think, let's say, but uh, because in Ireland, um, there's a lot of gossiping. So to some degree, there's a kind of don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, like I'm sharing this with you and don't tell anyone. <laughs> and I, I remember as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old getting into those conversations with different members of my family, including my parents. And there I was as a 12-year-old holding all these secrets mm. and then uh, not knowing what to do with it. So pretty much shutting down. Yeah. Oh, shit. I found love letters of my dad to another woman. And my dad saw that I found them. And he just said, it's nothing. Forget it. It's just a friend. Yeah. Oof. Um, and, and I see, and I see that still playing out in a very subtle way in, in my family. Yeah. And, uh, when, like in my brain, like, don't, don't you guys see that that's actually the problem. If we open a dialogue, no matter what the challenges are, can we trust not only because we're family that we love each other enough to find each other and by not talking about it, what they're saying to me is no, we don't trust. Yeah. So by the way, I'd love to bring on Lorianne only because I think she'll enjoy being part of this conversation. And I feel like we're keeping her out of the opportunity to join us now. Hey, Lorianne. I, I, I think we can do a whole show on Cyprus. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I already hear the show show on Cyprus. I'm actually wondering how what's coming up for you, Lorianne, because I know you already know us quite well. So you're listening to Bambo speak. Like, how is that landing for you at the moment? Honestly, I can. I mean, my heart goes out to you. I totally feel where you're coming from, having grown up in a very similar kind of environment where it's like there's just certain things you don't talk about. And. I was one of those kids that like truth would just sort of come out of my mouth without realizing it. And I would name the big pink elephant in the room nobody was talking about. So I got in a lot of trouble and learned to just stay silent and shut down. And those cries for help, I can totally relate to. Um, my journey was a little bit different, but the shutting down, the desperation, wanting ways of like, you know, okay, well, if I just do something extreme enough, maybe somebody will notice, maybe somebody will show up and care enough to stop and pay attention. Maybe somebody will, you know, all of that. Like it just, I, I hear it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. And I absolutely know you're not alone. There's yeah. probably way more people out there with that than anybody wants to admit. Yeah. I think anyone who comes from an island nation, uh, if they've never loved that island nation, it's so normal. They don't even realize how crazy it is. Hmm. You know, when I left Japan, I forgot that that was the same mentality there. And that got me into a lot of trouble afterwards, forgetting that there's an island that has a very set, set rules. Don't talk about whatever, you know, whatever happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> Well, uh, now with the growing up that I am, it's it's uh, it's more just allowing everything as it is. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't see it as avoiding. I also see I don't need to impose anything. Or or my past would be name it, penetrate, create shit, and leave. Yeah. And now it's more like allowing the 
it hurts and I'm here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't even know if that statement's true. Actually. I say it hurts. Yeah. Um, but I also, I also see there's a kind of alchemy where, uh, I've been posting, uh, videos of me with my mama mm-hmm. and really having, a, and really having fun. Like mom, I just came from a three hour back ride. Can you please shower me in the garden? <laughs> Yeah. So she, she's spraying me down. We're laughing. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing my ass off. And I realize this is, this is me inviting her into my world because I'm not going to go down her world. Yeah. I can see it. I see you. I see you. And this is, this is where I am. And yeah. through that, we've really had, I, I've been asking questions like, mom, um, like, tell me, what, what do you love eating? Like, what would you cook for yourself? And, and just, getting her to talk. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it, 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 that's a little bit uh, where it is and, and it does feel good. I've had quite a lot of messages privately also people saying, you're really inspiring me mm. that there's a way to touch my mama's or father's heart where before I, I just see them as these shutdown people. So I see how you're playing with it. Yeah. So, and that's the point. And I also get to see myself through the eyes of everyone that comments. So thanks everyone. Beautiful. Channeling. (laughs) Yeah. Enough about me. On that note. (laughs) You know, as Bambos was talking, actually, I, I, I didn't think anything he said wasn't all dissimilar for anything we were going to hear from you. So I actually brought you directly in thinking that, it was going to be an interesting discussion because before you came on, you mentioned to us that you'd heard voices ever since you can remember. And it's only more recently that you've shared with others that that's the case. So I'd like to like kind of take a step back and like move through to you say, whenever you can remember, when's the earliest memory that you can remember? And, and, and what was it at that time? So what stands out to me is really, you know, those moments when you realize like, oh, nobody else does this. Like up to that point, it was just so much a part of everything. It didn't like it was just normal. It's like everybody does this. So there's no point in talking about it because it's just normal. And so what stands out to me is that that moment. Um, And. So it's a little bit of a story because it was, let's see, I was in elementary school and growing up in the Pacific Northwest, like in the spring, the weather is just neurotic, especially in the 80s before they figured out the Doppler weather thing. So you wait 10 minutes and the weather changes. And so I just got in this habit every morning of going to my closet and just sort of asking, I don't know who or what, I just asked, do I need my umbrella today? And I would always hear an answer and I would just follow it. It didn't occur to me that that was abnormal. People do this, right? Mm-hmm. So there was one morning I, th- I was aware that all the re- weather reports said it was supposed to be nice all week. It was a beautiful morning. I went to my closet. I asked. The response was, yes, take the umbrella. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. No problem. I got to school and kind of a quick scan, I realized I'm the only one with an umbrella. And so I'm like, now I'm getting self-conscious because, you know, I think it was like fourth or fifth grade or something. So now I'm like self-conscious. I'm trying to hide the fact that I have it. I go to hang it up and I hear one of the boys in the class say, oh, no, Lori brought her umbrella. We're going to get wet today. 
And I'm like, I just froze. I thought I'd, I mean, it, it felt like I had gotten caught with my hand in the cookie jar kind of thing. Like I felt like I was in trouble. I was like, I got caught. And I turn around and the entire class is staring at me. And I looked up at the teacher and she mumbled something about intuition and then got the class redirected and doing something else. And after school, sure enough, I was the only one dry. It was just pouring down rain. So I asked my parents that evening, well, what is this? What is intuition? What is this thing? And of course, in the 80s, the attitude around anything alternative was so different. I mean, anything occultish or woo-woo or any of that was associated with actual cults. You know, if you saw anything on TV, it was either they were a fraud or this dark, horrible, scary character. Like it was just a whole different world. And so my parents responded from that place and their knee-jerk reaction was, it doesn't exist. Anybody who tells you it does is a fraud. And I'm like, well, but I just had this experience and clearly it was accurate. And so I mean, every cell in me decided they were wrong and I would protect it. And so to protect it, I just, I would hide it. But I realized inadvertently that meant also ignoring it because up to that point, I'd never told anybody about it, but clearly they had been observing something, yeah. the results. So I, I, started hiding it at that point. So, but up to that point, it was just such a natural part of my everyday experience that I don't recall not doing it, if that makes sense. Like I just always knew, but then sort of having people talk about it, I realized, well, if, you know, especially in the eighties, if I say, oh, I hear voices, I'm either getting on medications or getting locked up. I mean, that's, there wasn't anything else. And I wasn't surrounded by people who, knew anything else so and you couldn't google it (laughs) no (laughs) no websites didn't exist yet computers were not a household thing Mm. cell phones were still attached to the wall you know like (laughs) just reality difference yep yep (laughs) sounds like very lonely yeah it was in many ways especially because it would keep popping up like it was still there. I want to say there were a couple of times it sort of broke through. Like most of the time it was a voice in my head, like kind of like you would, people nowadays would talk about it as that still quiet voice in the back of your mind, you know? Um, So there's a more natural language around it. But let's see, I was 10, 12 years old, that age range, something like that. And that was, one of two times in my life, the voice was actually outside of me. Like I heard it in my ear, not in my head. Like Mm. it was a voice in the room. And the first time scared the hell out of me, but had really positive results. Um, The second time it was a very calming experience. And that was later in my twenties, but it was, so the, the, I consider them my guides or what I talk about as my G team now, because there was a, a point at which I sat down and went, okay, do y'all have names? Because I know there's different feelings, different entities, different. Um, and, you know, it was interesting as each name came up, it started with a G. And so I went, great, you're just my G team. I'm not good because mm. they were bizarre names. I'm like, I'm not going to remember these. I'm sorry. You're just my G team. So yeah. 
that's how I refer to them now. In, in the beginning, Lorian, you mentioned you mentioned the word intuition. So mm -hmm. you, you named it. Is that true? I didn't. It was a word I heard from my teacher. She mumbled something about intuition. And so that's, I went and asked my parents, like, what does that word mean? Because I had no idea. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't until my 20s or so that I started connecting with people who had other experiences and would talk about angels or guides or any of those things. So I didn't have a language when I was a kid other than that. Other than there's this thing that goes on in my life that clearly has a result and nobody else has. That was my experience of it. Hmm. I was thinking as you were speaking about the, you know, I was on your show and I discussed how I wrote the letter to my mom. I just had the feeling I have to send it. And I ran and found the postman. And then she got that letter hours before she was killed. And, and I, I always felt, and I've given the words to it is people wanted to project knowing onto it. Like Andy, you had uh, intuition. Mm -hmm. And I always said, actually, I live from urgency. So I, I, I never would allow myself to say intuition. There wasn't, you know, I would mm -hmm. never use the wording, but there was also intuition for sure. And, uh, and I just was hearing how I turned intuition into urgency so that it was more acceptable from the public realm. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's definitely that kind of thing. I mean, even when I was a kid, if I picked up on something and I really felt like, okay, I've got to say something, there's something, you know, there is, you know, it would have a sense of take action here. I would have to get creative around how I shared that so that it was palatable to others and didn't sort of out me. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was an interesting experience. And that was, I think when I was 10 or 12 years old, that was kind of what that experience was. It was, um, <laughs> I was actually at church camp of all things, like one place you would think they talk about all these miracles, yeah. they talk about all these things. And, and I just knew I'm like, I can't tell anybody, they won't believe me, you know? <laughs> so uh, it was yeah. a very interesting sort of like how do i make this work um yeah. could you imagine that because even you gave it the word the g team so it is even god <laughs> is in there if you take the g it's funny to think that you would say that that is connecting to a higher source and yet that you would be considered to be crazy if you say it, it it's it's a it's a paradox mm -hmm. You know, yeah. we're supposed to be in touch with a thing that's bigger than us. But if we say we're in touch with something bigger than us, all of a sudden, like, you got to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there's there's enough circles now. I think that's shifting. But I, there is there are still certain people like I just know it's easier to say it's intuition versus my guides talking to me or, yeah. you know, the certain language. And of course that's going to change now that I'm doing this, but, um, and it, like, I just know, like, I wouldn't talk to my mom necessarily about it. Yeah. She's in a whole different world and that's fine. I respect that, you know, and 
and it's okay. But I, one of the things that I'm coming to is like, this isn't just for me. It's, it's to be able to help others as well. And the only way I can do that is to start just owning it and accepting some people be okay with that. Some won't. And I just got to get over that and then let it be what it is. Um, And that's, that's an interesting, but I think that's kind of where I'm at now is like, okay, now I got to own it, which is fascinating because it's easier to do that with strangers who don't have a history with me to be able to say, oh, this is just who I am, as opposed to my friends who have known me for 15 and 20 years and are like, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know you when you were just that age and you weren't that way then. So how could you be this way now? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's when a um, my mentor case, uh, you know, he was uh, diagnosed with some slow growth cancer. And I remember uh, I talked about it before, but I told him, my wife, I said, I'm taking a, a road trip with case for some period because we, we worked together for 10 years, but we never spent time together. Like we loved each other, but we like he listened to like the worst music imaginable. And I couldn't bear to be around him that long. And I feel the same way about Andy. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Um, and so I told her I'm taking a trip with him and she was really a bit angry with me at that moment because it's like, why don't I get to go? And I said, and I said, baby, this is going to be the last time I'm going to be able to spend time with him. And she said to me, Andy, what do you mean? He has so many years to live. And I said, baby, just l- allow me just to follow my intuition, what I would call is just, I want to spend that time. And I don't want to say what's going to happen. I want to presuppose it. I don't want to create it through my energy. I'm just saying, I'm going to do the trip. And then we did the trip. And I think when we returned, he died a week and a half later after Mm. that trip. And then she came to me and said, Andy, how do you always know these things? And, and And I had the same answer. I don't know. I live with urgency. But as I'm speaking to you now, it's not altogether true. There is something I could, it's emotional for me to feel it because there is an aspect of feeling that goes beyond words. And uh, I've just found a way to sanitize it so it's easier to talk about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting diving into this because I am such a grounded, business-oriented person. I mean, I've got a master's degree in business and leadership. I've, you know, all of that. And yet still coming to this, what is traditionally considered this sort of woo-woo, ungrounded, you know, thing. And yet it's completely grounded. And I would say there's, there's absolutely a scientific basis for it. I mean, who's to say we know that there is light spectrum outside of our physical ability to see. So who's to say there aren't beings in that realm that we just can't see, but energetically they're interacting with us. Why is that not possible scientifically? Like Mm -hmm. we know other things exist that we can't see, whether it's a virus or a bacteria or anything else. And they interact and have impact on us, you know, like there's so many pieces of this world that do exist, but somehow there's this one realm where like, if I can't see it, it can't be true. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, what would life look like? I mean, we've, we've, we've then put like, it's like on one side we have science and on the other side we call it faith. So it's the storytelling of someone who wrote a book 5,000 years ago that we now think it's contemporary still. Right. But right. the whole, the whole absurdity is, is that we don't know what we don't know, but we don't want to admit that. 
So we stick with what we know and then we basically create story that allows us to feel more secure. So yeah, I understand it. It's, it's a very male, and this is my prejudice towards, it's a very male dominated way of seeing the world that we could call it male or masculine or determined minded. Patriarchal. It's a very strong way of saying we can only trust what we see and everything else is irrelevant. And I've just seen it a lot in my life and it's hard, especially in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, I mean, you look at, you know, the, the ancient Chinese um, practice of acupuncture and they deal with the meridians and the energy lines of the body. And I think it's just, an, you know, as, as ancient as that practice is, I think it's thousands of years old, if I remember correctly. And yet it's only in the last, I think, five years, we now have technology sensitive enough to go, oh, yeah, they've been correct all this time. That stuff actually exists. It's there. And it's just the fact that our technology hasn't caught up with what the deeper knowing is. And so I was reading a book years ago and there was a statement in it that I just thought was brilliant and it's like, wow, science is, it's like science is going up this mountain of knowledge and they're going to get to the peak of it. And there's going to be a guru sitting there going, what took you so long? Because it's all going to the same place. You know, quantum physics is starting to sort of make these, you know, all of these things real that we didn't think was possible. You know, particles that can communicate with each other somehow across any distance instantaneously and they move through everything so what's to say we're not tapping into that quantum level of knowledge when we get a hit that something's happening you know or oh that person's gonna call me in a few minutes and then the phone rings like there's there's something going on just because we can't see it touch it whatever we're definitely feeling it so why not? You know, and I think some are more sensitive to it than others, and that's okay. Whatever language works, but it's there, it's real, results speak for themselves. So yeah. why not? I have to say that me coming to Cyprus was also intuition. Like I've been asked why you're here, and I'm like, Yeah, I want to see my family. I haven't seen them for a year. Um what's what's been an undercurrent for me is like I'm, I'm living the moments with my mother as if it, these are the last ones and I'm creating memories with her. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm scared to name it. But that's what I'm undercurrently doing. I'm creating memories and moments. And it's scary. Like I kind of see the 6th of June when I'm leaving, coming back to Holland, that that might be the last time. Mm. So I'm allowing that to also guide me in while being here. So part of me heard you speak and I could feel that fear of naming it. And what if it happens? Oh, and then I'm right. And then what? Well, what a gift, actually. I mean, because the truth is you're paying attention to it. You're owning it. You're creating these experiences And if it's not true, you have the opportunity to come back and build on that. If it is true, you will never have the regrets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So either way, it's a beautiful, amazing, wonderful experience that you're just deeply aware of how precious it is. Mm -hmm. So I, there's no downside. 
I think yeah. I was also pointing to another thing as I was speaking. I could feel how it was to be you to feel and having these experiences and not being able to share them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you share like one of those stories where you had a, like a really clear message and you're like, Oh wow, I can't say anything about it. And then yeah. it came true. And you were like, Oh fuck me. Who's going to believe me <laughs> yeah. now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the first one, so yeah, I was 10, 12 years old at church camp and you know, bunk beds so that the cat, what we called the cabin was actually a um, large building. It had four rooms and in each room there would be 10 or 12 girls and a camp counselor and then the, the shared bathroom and common areas. And so I remember it was one night I was trying to go to sleep and I was I, usually I was the last one asleep because I just I was always awake. Um, but I remember so you guys have probably never slept in a flannel nightgown inside of a flannel sleeping bag. Um, I have. I have. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, I know it. I've had the experience. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm just I'm just visualizing you in a flannel nightgown. I, I think that's not a that nightgown. Be... <laughs> uh, sorry. Flannel, a flannel pants. Okay. Sorry. So, you know, it's like Velcro, like it just like it, it wraps around you and all of that. So, and I always slept on my stomach at that age. And so it took forever to get comfortable. Right. And so I just know I was on my stomach, you know, okay, fine. I'm finally drifting off to sleep. I can hear some girls in the bathroom and, you know, the windows open and it's summer and I can hear the leaves and the wind and it's really nice. And I'm drifting off to sleep. And then out of my right ear, which was towards the room, I hear my name and it's, it was a male voice, very sharp. Like it was trying to get my attention. It's like just Lori. And I open my eyes and I'm staring at the ceiling. I'm not on my stomach. I'm staring at the ceiling. And I did a quick body scan and there's nothing out of place. I did not roll myself over. I'm clear about that. And for a moment, all I can hear is my heartbeat because I'm like <laughs> very much awake and terrified at this moment. And I kind of note, I'm like, okay, was there somebody in the room? And I'm looking around. I'm like, nope, the door's been closed. It wasn't swinging closed. I didn't hear the door. What is going on? And that's kind of when I want to say the voice sort of switched back to being in my head at that point. Um, and I was just kind of listening and paying attention. I'm like, okay, what do you want? You got my attention. What do you want? And I started hearing, um, so now the, you know, of course, flipped over the windows now on my right side, and I'm hearing rustling and footsteps and stuff under the window. And I look over and there's a bunch of boys running under the window and I can hear them kind of giggling and laughing and whispering. And I hear the word raid and I'm like, okay. And then there's still some girls in the bathroom and that particular bathroom set up, there were no doors there were no, it was no, there was no privacy in there really. And it occurred to me if the boys get in at the, at the best case scenario, it's going to be horribly embarrassing. Worst case, I, I don't want to go there, but it's just, it's not a good situation. This isn't going to be funny. It's going to leave some kind of 
mark in people's lives. This isn't cool. And I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? And I'm, I'm realizing I need to get up. I'm supposed to stop this. And I'm like, okay, well, by the time I get up and wake up my counselor who's asleep in her bed, it's going to be too late and she's not going to believe me. And how do I tell everybody like, well, this voice woke me up, you know, like, I'm, what do you want me to do? And then I, I just heard the word scream. And I'm like, I don't want to scream. I'm like, because at that age, I was horribly introverted. Like I was always the wallflower. I was always, you know, I just, I had a couple of friends, but I just, I was not the person that would like make a bunch of noise and call attention to myself. And I'm like, I don't want to scream. Then everybody will know it was me. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, there's got to be another option. And I'm going through my head and I'm like, no, there is no other option. So I just screamed as loud and as long as I could the word raid. And of course, the moment I started screaming, every girl in all four cabins started screaming. So they didn't know who started it. My poor camp counselor, I heard her sit up so fast, she hit her head on the bunk above her. I just, I felt so bad for her, like, I'm sorry. Um, and then I, you know, the four counselors went out to the common area and I could hear things that, you know, all the screaming was quieting down and I could hear the camp counselors starting to kind of go, okay, what was that? What's going on? Just as the front door opened. And so the boys were stopped right at the front door. And that was a whole level of, of chaos. Uh, and, and that was taken care of. Um, once things calmed back down, I could hear the girls in the bathroom again, and they were like, I wasn't dressed, so grateful they didn't get in, et cetera, et cetera. And I, for me personally, I just laid there awake pretty much the rest of the night going, okay, what was yeah. that? You know, what, clearly there's more here than just me. Um, and like I said, I, I, knew, I was at church camp and yet how could I, I couldn't tell anybody, <laughs> you yeah. know, like there's this voice there. I think I did tell one dear friend, um, sort of as, you know, that secret sort of thing. And she's like, Oh, that was Jesus talking to you. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't feel right. But if that's what you need to think, that's yeah. totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> that works. So. Yeah. Safer that way. Yeah. You're right. right. Jesus. <laughs> we'll go what if that. I, what if I'm beautiful is that you listen I can mm -hmm. imagine when, when you ignore, then that voice stops talking. That is something like it's still there, but it's almost like a relationship that's broken. It's almost like, you know, your parents are still there. You can always go back, but you just don't have that close relationship with them if you stop talking to them, right? Mm -hmm. Like healthy parents won't disown you for that. Uh, but, you know, so they've always been there when I reach out, they've always been trying to get my attention. Um, like I would still get the hits. It's just a matter of whether or not I responded, which is interesting. Cause that's the, I want to say there's a respect for our free will. Like they'll mm. give us information, but we have the choice. Mm. Um, and there are times where I want to say they push a little harder or that feeling stronger. Clearly that was one where it was like, no, you're going to wake up. Um, another instance, and, and you kind of reminded me of it, Bombos, and that when, let's see, right after my daughter was born in 2003, um, 
my mom and I hadn't been close. So she had missed my son's birth and and that whole time period. Um, So she was back in my life and she really wanted to participate and, and be in there. And I just, I didn't have the energy to take care of my mom and an infant. And so I was kind of keeping her at bay. She kept inviting me to go to lunch with her because she wanted to show off her grandbaby to all of her coworkers. And I kept putting it off and putting it off. And there was one morning I had agreed to go, but I had called her several times and rescheduled already. And so I woke up thinking, okay, well, I'll just reschedule today. I really just don't want to. Um, And then I had this feeling like, no, you kind of really just have to. And so I'm like, well, okay, I'll just take a shower, but I really don't want to go. Then I'll call my mom. And, you know, I'm what and it sort of became this experience of watching myself getting ready while I kept telling myself I was not going to go. Mm-hmm. And it really like it became this so intense sort of thing. Like as I'm getting my set, my daughter into the car, I remember looking up as if somebody was there and talking to them like, no, I really don't want to do this. Like I was arguing with someone. I have no idea who I didn't see anybody. I was, but I was arguing with them. I don't want to do this. I don't feel up to it. And I just kept feeling physically pushed. Like you're doing this. And I'm like, Ugh. and you know, it lasted all the way until I pulled into the parking lot at my mom's work. And I finally went, fine, I'll do it. And then the pressure disappeared instantly. And so we went in, we had lunch, all of that. The next morning at 6 a.m., my mom called me. Um, she needed a ride to the hospital, and that was she wound up in the hospital with a brain aneurysm and was in the ICU for over a month. Um, She did survive it, but I realized pretty quickly that had been my last chance. And if I hadn't gone that day, I probably would have regretted it the rest of my life. Mm. And so in a way they were giving me an opportunity and and protecting me, but it was a, it was a very interesting, because I literally felt physically pushed Mm. which isn't common, but it was like, apparently that was important enough <laughs> that it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those, those things do happen. Um, I think they're there to protect us. They're there to help us, to guide us um, and, and just help us make the most out of this life. If we're willing to do that, you know, we have to do our part, but if we're willing They'll, they'll guide us along. Yeah. Yeah. I almost would always say when we've allowed ourselves the freedom of like getting rid of all the skeletons in the closet, you used this word earlier that I still quiet in voice is like that still quiet voice in the back starts to speak. And then you're like, wow, you were always there, but you were getting shouted over by all the things that were piled up on top of you that didn't allow me to hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's definitely that. And it's neat, though, because the more we listen, it it is a lot like building a relationship, just like with anybody else. We start understanding more of the subtleties. We start understanding more of the language. We start getting messages in more and more ways. So it's not just one way of communicating. You know, the, the relationship develops 
as does our trust in it so that when we do find things where it's like, wow, that's way outside my comfort zone, but it just feels right. Everybody else is saying I should do something else, but this, I just have to go do this. You wind up with the courage to go do it because you've been doing all the little things up to that yeah. point. And I think that's where it makes the biggest difference is if you haven't been doing the little things up to that point, yeah. you don't have the courage when you have to take that stand. And those some, can be life altering moments sometimes. Yeah, of course. And that's where I go to this comment, which from Bola Long was really quite nice that we hadn't gotten to yet. So the other word that I hear people mentioning is a premonition, mm. though it's not associated with voices, but acting in ways that agree with what is just about to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I associate more with that than with uh, voices. Because mm. I wouldn't say I have names in my in my experience of that. It's more like, oh, I know that this is going to happen in that business, and I don't necessarily can't. I, I can tell you there was this moment. It was one of those craziest moments of my life. I'm working for a high end fashion company in New York, which is not where I normally work, and I know there's someone in the company that's embezzling. Like I know it. I know it. And I know it in like the deepest knowing without any proof. <laughs> so now, now I'm like, I know this, but I know. So now the person who I'm interacting with had a baby that day. Mm. And, and what could be more important than a baby that day, right? Like it, there's nothing more important. And yet I know that the person who's embezzling is also undermining this collection that's going to be coming out in, in two weeks. Mm. So now, and so now I'm like, this is the shittiest situation to be in because now I have to tell you this is happening without knowing exactly why when you just had a baby and yet I can't not do this. So now I'm having, you know, and I didn't have interacted with this individual, but I interacted with a separate person who was interacting with them. And of course the person was embezzling and they were undermining the collection, right? It, which was all found out and that, you know, in reverse, everything seems so obvious, but before you make this clarity and you, you, you have the premonition, you, you, you're, you feel like you're absolutely crazy. Like you, mm -hmm. you feel like you're crazy and you're like, and, and, but you're not crazy. That's the point. Like, right. you know, you're not crazy. So th that bowl along saying premonition, I can completely identify with that way of feeling through the world for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. it shows up differently for everyone. And I think that's, it's just as unique as we are all human beings. Like yeah. it's, it's just such a beautiful, fun, interesting thing to play with and talk to people about now. Like I'm, um, I'm working with a coach and, and her relationship with hers. It's just so fun to have a conversation because she'll stop and go, Oh, they're telling me this or they're telling me that. And, you know, then she goes on with the conversation for me. A lot of times it's more like I get a picture and I have to interpret it mm. or, you know, something like that. It's, Sometimes I get words in, and the more I ask for words to communicate, the more they'll do that also. Wow. Like you can work with them and request, but the pictures are usually more natural because I've been playing with that since I was a kid and in my dreams and, and things. And so it's fun though. Like yeah. it's just, to me, it's a lot of fun. And the more I pay attention the more wonderful life gets. Yeah. Like, I think that's the piece. Um, I've developed language in my business where I, I just refer to that 
whether it's a knowing or a premonition or the voices, whatever it is, I just refer to it as, you know, my wise one within, which yeah. is a W-O-W. So when I listen to that, the more wow life gets, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So that's, it's that's funny when fun you, part. it's funny when you coach or mentor someone and like, they're like, uh, Andy, I have this weird feeling and it's taking me here. And you see they haven't done the rationale around it, but you know that they're following intuition. Like the one time I'm like, okay, you already have to do it. Like don't, now thinking is getting involved. So you're undermining what you're already going to. So just do it and you'll figure out why after you've done it, but do it. You know, and then it's, it's <laughs> such a hard, a hard moment to trust intuition, to let it guide you because uh, the thoughts hijack it and think, oh, I have to rationalize this decision that's, you know, just been made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and our emotions get in the way too, especially if we haven't done the work. Like sometimes one of the things we have to pull apart is like, okay, is this one of those moments where it's really that intuition leading me or is it that hope that I've talked myself into yeah. or the fear that's getting in the way or, you know, we have to really do the work to tease it all apart. And then there's the level of, well, I got the hit to do something, but nothing happened. You know, like I'm driving along and I was, you know, I got the hit to turn right instead of left. Well, maybe what just happened is that you avoided a car accident and you'll never know. Like, so Mm -hmm. that's something we have to remember too, is that sometimes the hits, you know, we're not going to know. And that's where the faith comes in. Like you just have to develop the trust and keep Mm -hmm. going and and tease it all apart. It's funny as you say that. I've tried to convince my wife of that every time I've taken a wrong turn and she doesn't allow that at all. <laughs> Baby, this is exactly where I want it to go. She doesn't work. Well, well. <laughs> there, there is such a thing as a wrong turn too, Andy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chris... Akanda, who we just had on the show and we had a wonderful time with, and now I've started to co- cooperate with him to see how far we might write a book together. We dis- we've been discussing how your experience um, is part of that next book, the uh, one's ability to do or see or experience the world in ways that are not really explainable by others. And, and I also saw in my own life, and I'm asking if it's the same for you, do you see that in some way there was any dramatic experience at a young age which sort of refined uh, almost a, a, an opportunity to channel into something deeper? Because obviously with my dad and the abuse, I got really, really sensitive to emotions and others to protect myself. And I noticed that translated into premonitions in a lot of ways. Um, for me, that's the way I felt it, at least the narrative I've created. How is that for you? Um, I, I, I know that it was there already. Um, like I said, I just, I don't remember it not ever being there. I would say that I've certainly had experiences. So, you know, like I, I also grew up in a household where it just, it wasn't safe and developing a, a really deep, I want to say hypersensitivity to how other people are feeling and developing that far more than maybe I would have in some other situation, but it was already there. Um, 
And I, I do know people who have grown up in very healthy, wonderful households who are also very sensitive. So I don't think those experiences are required by mm. any means. It's more how we use who and what we are to cope and manage the world. And it's taken me a number of years to really be able to look back and go, oh, that was, that was part of the gift of that situation, was to have developed this particular aspect in such a, a you know, to such a degree. Yeah. I mean, I can walk in a room and read it instantaneously and go, okay, there's something off or this isn't working or that person or, you know, and I don't always know why or how it's just an instantaneous read of the room that sort of downloads. And I'm like, okay, well, and I've tested it. It's like, okay, let's play this out and see if it's accurate because I don't want to make assumptions either. Yeah. You know, um, but like here recently in March, I actually ran an experiment to test myself. Like, okay, am I making this stuff up or is it real? Like that was like, it's one thing to have, you know, a hit inside and I never tell anybody, but I noticed that it happened and, you know, that kind of stuff. But how far can I expand this? And how real is it? Because there is that piece like, oh, you know, imagination plays a role, yeah. uh, especially when I'm getting pictures and have to interpret those. Right. <laughs> so um, I tested myself and I reached out to a Facebook group and said, OK, just total transparency. I think I channel information. I don't know for sure if there are people who are interested in showing up and kind of playing with me. Um, you know, I want to see what's possible. So just send a question. I'll send you a response and just tell me if it's accurate or not, because I need to know what is this? Um, and it was interesting because what surprised me, first of all, is that I got over 70 responses. And I'm like, okay, I didn't expect that. But what a wonderful opportunity to really see. Because And the questions were like all over the board from relationship stuff to travel stuff to purpose and passion stuff to can you connect with so-and-so who's passed away? Can you tell me something about, you know, my horse in my life, you know, is acting funny. Can you tell me something about that? And I'm like, great. This is a wonderful opportunity to see one, is it accurate? And two, which areas feel most natural to me as well? Um, and that was shocking because, every piece of feedback I got, regardless of the area was, you're dead on and accurate. And this is pretty surprising. And, and even right down to, um, there was one that she had wanted to connect with uh, somebody who had passed away. And so I, I do kind of a little preparation ahead of time. And it's like, okay, you know, let me know just the highest and best for this person. Let something come through that is, accurate in such a way that it's undeniable so that we can both know that this is, you know, kind of thing. Um, so kind of a little prayer meditation before getting started, kind of that, like, let's set the stage here. And that particular one, um, the first thing that came to mind was a can of sardines. And I'm like, I hate sardines. What do I do with this? It would like, 
I, there's no metaphor here other than I hate sardines. Like that's not a metaphor. I just, I can't stand them, but okay, we'll roll with this. We'll just keep going. Well, then what I saw in my head was the can of sardines open and there were olives mixed in. And I'm like, okay, that's even worse. I hate olives too. What's going on here? Like, I don't know what to make of this. Why would anybody put those together? Um, <laughs> just whatever. And so I'm like, okay, well, my job is just to share the information as it comes through. Maybe it'll mean something to the other person. I don't know. So then went on with the rest of what came through. And the feedback I got was, well, it was clearly that individual because sardines and olives was their favorite snack in the world. And I'm like, I would never in a million years have come up with that on my own, let alone yeah. put the two together as a snack. Like, that's just not, <laughs> not even close. Um, so that's something we can do too. I think any of us can sort of play with these things and test them and prove to ourselves how accurate or not they are. If nothing else for our own sanity and for the ability to show up in the world and have that level of confidence and trust and faith that no, this is accurate. So when I do have a hit, where it's like, I need to go left and everybody's telling me to go right. It's like, no, I've got enough experience and proof here. This is, you know, I'm going left because that's what this is telling me to do yeah. sort of thing. So, um, um, yeah. Marianne, when you were, well, first of all, you got 70 comments. Like <laughs> how, how long does it actually take you to go through that? And did you, did you even, did you find yourself clicking on the people just to tune into them? Or were you like, like bam, 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 bam. So um, what's interesting is it, it, I feel like I run a lot of current, um, if that makes sense. Like it takes a lot of energy. So I can only do like three to five a day or I get pretty exhausted. Um, I have a feeling the more I do that might increase, but right now it, it's not something that I, um, that, that's just where I'm at. So I do have to manage my energy in that sense. Um, and it depends on the situation. So most of those people would just send me a question. Some of them, that's all I received in the message was just the question. And that was it. Some of them would give me some background or, you know, context. Um, it really varied. And it didn't seem to matter in terms of what came through. Um, so for those people that just messaged me with their question, I would just take an audio like on my phone and just record a message and then send them the audio. And I would just talk until it felt like it was complete. Usually it was about five to eight minutes kind mm -hmm. of thing, typically. Wow. Um, and I would just send them that audio. So in wow. full, maybe that would take 15 or 20 minutes. It really kind of depended between... Um, sort of sitting in that space and, you know, creating the space, getting their question and, and getting them the feedback. Other people, I actually invited them to do an interactive session with me. So getting on Zoom and actually having like a full conversation so they could ask follow-up questions or whatever. And those usually lasted between a half an hour to an hour um, and just really varied. Usually I can do you know, a couple of those a day kind of thing. They take a lot more energy. Um, 
And a lot of times those will sort of turn into sort of a half mentoring, half channeling conversation. And even when I'm in mentoring mode, I'm still sort of getting like, ask this, you know, go here. Like there's still, I can't tease apart the, if you want to call it intuition or channeling versus the mentoring, it's like all just sort of wrapped in together. Um, So it, it varies. You're really owning this. I mean, you went from not discussing this for most of your life to like, hey, let's ask 70 people and really go for it. Well, that was kind of, yeah. I mean, that's when you have proof, it's a lot easier to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, uh, you're, you're reminiscing of Bambos in my life right now, you know? Bambos, when he doesn't experience any, like I'll dip, like I, the analogy I have is I went with Bambos taking this walk along the, the coast of the Netherlands. It's freezing cold outside. And I'm like, I run in like up to my knees and my feet get cold. And I'm like, fuck this, I'm back in. And Bambos jumps in as if it's like, it's like a sauna or something. <laughs> uh, oh man! Uh, I, I'm am curious about. If we're going over our time. Is that okay? I'm fine. Yeah, it's up okay. to you guys. Um, to what degree? Like, I, I always say myself. Like, I even caught myself. Maybe I can ask her this question, and then I took a few deep breaths, and then as, um, as I'm relaxing into myself. I can tap into my own inner knowing and then mm-hmm. to what degree do a lot of people are so scared to make a decision that they want to give you the responsibility. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, it's interesting because I think we do all have some form of inner knowing, like yeah. we know what, what is right for us, what feels good. And we're emotional creatures. And that's one of the reasons I have a coach is because I'm human and it is nice to talk about things out loud and get a confirmation or an affirmation from a different perspective or to hear how somebody else would talk about that. So even though I know I'm only seeing it through one one perspective. Mm. So it's just like any other interaction where, yeah, I know And it's nice to talk about it. So, so much of what I do is really affirming for people and helps them sort that out so that they can learn to trust their own inner knowing that much more or learn to tease apart, oh, that was emotional. This is the knowing. Mm. Um, And so that's a lot of the work that I do is helping people develop that sense for themselves and move through the world in a way that is more true to who they're born to be, which is a ton of fun. So I have a scenario. Can I like, I'll go, I want to kind of have fun with this. Um, I'm organizing a a two day retreat. It, It starts tomorrow evening and we end on Sunday and we're 10 people. I've asked everyone, please do a rapid test before you come just to also honor that that thing is going on out there. Like I know about four of the people, five of the people, and then five people got invited. And there's one individual in the chat. I kind of feel his trouble in the way he's behaving in the chat, the way he's, and part of me, there's a part of me like, wow, this is just like, I want this to be a relaxed weekend. And part of me knows that this individual is going to need more attention 
and what my like in the past i would i would actually call up the individual and just say hey like what's going on and now it's more like as i'm as i'm sinking into myself i'm like he needs a lot of love and then after a conversation i had with andy today how the question which came up for me how do i celebrate and love this person fully without but also not enabling behavior and to what degree do I actually want to bring that into the space and be busy with it so that's my dilemma right now i have a knowing that this individual needs more than what the space is actually made for mhm it's not it's not a paid retreat it's people just covering their costs and having like if it was a paid retreat fine <laughs> yeah So yeah. what's coming up for you or what do you hear me saying? So I get that he's totally going to challenge you if he's there. And so it would it where I would come from it is okay once the retreat is done and you're looking backwards at it how do you really want to have had that experience go what do you want to be able to say about it after the fact? and is there a way to be in love that person without forcing yourself into a position that doesn't feel right or good i might take it a little differently than lorian actually go on the the way i would see it in my how i would navigate it is i'd call them up not have judgment to it good or bad and say this is the intention of that week and i just want to make sure before you come in that this is something you really want to sign up for because it is kind of where it's going and mm. and then from that reaction he'll define or she'll define if it makes sense for them to be there or not and then if the reaction is negative and defensive and then and then i would say that's kind of the reason why i think it's probably best not to join if they meet you in it then i'd say oh yeah that's exactly totally yeah. that's what it's all about nice so that it doesn't take away from what Lorian said but i uh i have a different saying in my head every day i don't need this shit in my life <laughs> i don't need the lesson to be learned over and over again i if i know you're going to be trouble why do you think i didn't invite you into the course <laughs> <laughs> so for the 100th yeah. time andy had a course 15 months <laughs> He was inviting everyone except me. Lorian, <laughs> who do you so think you're the trouble? Got who it. Do you okay. think, who do you think was the hardest one in the course, Lorian? <laughs> of course, it's the people you know well enough to drive you crazy. <laughs> well, I don't know. It was he was scary. It was scary to have him in. It pushed me to the boundaries and borders of what I knew I could hold space for. So it was uh it was uh it was a challenge, you know. So and I, and I and I and i can often go the lazy path and say you know what let's just take it easy why do i i don't have to win any you know any awards of sweating you know so um but <laughs> the, the um the the obviously the training was far more beautiful because what i've also seen is the 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 hard one in a group is never the hard one they're the one that's suffering most and then the question is me as a trainer how much space can i create for that suffering and not project it as bad that's that's where you get for me more adept at dealing with group uh, uh complexity 
because when when as soon as a person is even projected on as being a troublemaker, that already sets the stage for the interaction. So I would even say that's the person that may have the most trouble accessing their own pain, and then they have defense mechanisms to, to, to protect against it, which sets a whole different vision of how you interact with that individual. Yeah. That's at least how I, I mean, that's, there's two sides to it. One, I try to take a responsibility ahead. And two, I try and to hold space if it does happen yeah. and it still fucks up a lot. So, let's, <laughs> okay. well, and it's still, I would say though, you, t- you have the choice, whether you invite that into this particular space, it may not be, you can still love somebody and support them and, and still know this isn't the right space for that particular thing to unfold in this moment. So sorting that out, I think will serve you as well as everyone who is there. And we have to remember too, sometimes that setting boundaries and saying no can be just as much of a service to the other person as saying yes and letting them in. Like we don't know (laughs) sometimes what that looks like. Um, Hallelujah. And my last question, Lorian, me and Andy are organizing a summit in mm-hmm. July. Does your intuition say to join? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but like do, you, do, do, do you want, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, so do you want to join our wonderful chaos summit in July? We have a wonderful chaos summit three days. Everybody shows up the first night they write on their name, what their offering is. And then everyone in the group gets to decide if they'd like to join that offering or not. And then it's all self-organized for three days. That's the, that's, that's the vision. I I saw that. I don't know if it was a post or what it was, but I saw that and went, Oh, if I could be there, but it's, it's not in the budget right now. There's a few other things going on. So I'm like, if somebody sent me the plane ticket, I would show be there in a heartbeat (laughs) just to hang out and Mm. just, you know, join you guys and, and have fun. That would be so cool. Absolutely. I I really had this desire. I mean, it also COVID doesn't make it easy, obviously, but this desire that a lot of the guests that we've had, including you, Lorianne, would be amazing to meet in person. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was hoping maybe you guys could do it again next year or in the fall or something like that or whatever. But I'm like annual event, "Ah, second annual. We said we said even if this one gets canceled, the next one's still going to be the second (laughs) annual. It's not the first annual. This is the first annual, whether it happens or not. Um, Do you want to hear something weird? Also, tomorrow we have Nicole Costeros on our show and she is also a big channeler. She actually taught, uh, even does intuitive workshops hmm. and through, and through following her intuition, uh, she, she hit, uh, 85,000 euro, um, income in, in, in a workshop, but she's ever since I met her from a woman that shaved her head and went to India and was doing darkness retreats and just following that, following that, following that, just trusting, trusting, and now she's like considered at least one of the the greats. <laughs> we in the show. The show is called "How I Learned to Love Money." Yeah, <laughs> mm, nice. nice. Yeah. You guys have the best shows. Yeah, really, and the best guests, and yeah. That's Speak, awesome. Speaking of former guests, Delissa Hawking, I don't know if you've followed any of our shows with her, but she's done a lot of medium work and we've had her on two shows and we love her. And uh, 
I could imagine that she would also be a nice contact for you because she's in the area doing, not in your area, she's in Vegas, but she even has a a, a, a show she does at, uh, at one of the big uh, casinos there where she does oh, uh, nice. a dinner show, which is uh, 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 won an award for being the best show on that, on the strip that, that year. So yeah, that there's that. And uh, I also know there's a lot of, um, a lot of people or like in Virginia beach, there's a lot of different uh, things going on there for people with mediumship uh, 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 abilities or talents. So, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's gotta be a massive network of people out there that are also excited to connect uh, to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fun. And, and for those who haven't seen the first episode, my, my, my children divorced me with Lorianne. That is a great show. Uh, one of our better or best shows, uh, as uh, said to me by, uh, our, as you know, from Cass Midgley, told me it was his favorite show that he had to edit. So, um, Yeah, and in his comments, I just have to say, like, brought tears to my eyes. Like, I yeah. just, it was so heartwarming and generous and kind of him. And I had no idea that a conversation I would have could have an impact like that. And yeah. so I just... Thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. Yeah, we only we only really work or interact or connect with people that we love. And it, it might sound stupid, but it's true. Like like the only reason why I podcast is because I love Cass Midgley. It's not like Cass is edu- editing these things for no real money, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he, he really is. And if he were to say, Andy, I don't want to do this anymore, we probably don't have a podcast. I mean- Bambos and I, of course, we're sitting here doing this, but, you know, it's not like if everyone's looking at me, I get high school friends saying, Andy, what do you do for a living? Because it sure as hell can't be on a show where, you know, and I mean, the the humor is, is it happens because everyone loves and to be here and to participate and that's it. And that we can do it every single day because we meet people in love and they say, yeah, that's a good enough reason to show up for a show. Mm -hmm. So. We thank mm-hmm. you for sharing the love with us the second time around. It's really great to be with you. We'll see you wow. somewhere in September, October. That yeah. would be lovely. <laughs> that would be, I would absolutely love that. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way.